0: Good morning. ask you to turn your Bibles with me, if you will, to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. There's no greater gift, I believe, in this world than a godly mother. And we are thankful for our mothers here today, and what a joy it is to be able to be gathered here. Some of you coming, sitting by your mother in church, what a what a a pleasure that is, I know uh, I tried to avoid sitting by my mother growing up because she made me behave, but um, you know sometimes we think about Mother's Day as well, and it's it's also not the easiest of holidays for some mothers dealing with uh issues in the family, maybe the loss of a child, maybe the other things that that are there um and also. Some who maybe this is your first Mother's Day without your mother. At the end of this, in everything, whatever situation you're in, we recognize the good and gracious gift God give, gifts God gives to us. And His grace sustains us. And my mom taught me that. So we praise God for that truth. And this day is a true reminder of the goodness and graciousness of God in our lives and His sustaining power through all things. So as we turn to 2 Timothy this morning, I want us to uh, consider this letter over the next few weeks. As we said, next week we'll have our equipped Sunday. Dr. Mulder will be here preaching for us, and we'll be excited about that. And then the few weeks after that, we'll be uh, looking together through 2 Timothy. Um, we're going to be taking roughly one chapter at a time. We'll be looking at chapter 1 today. Over these next few weeks, as we look to this short uh, but powerful letter um, that Paul writes to young Timothy, a minister in the gospel, and he's investing in him. We want to see what God teaches, see what Paul teaches through this. I know this letter means the world to me. It was Second Timothy that the Lord used to call me into the ministry. And so this morning as we start this, uh, I want us to consider what God is teaching us through his word. Unlike many of his letters, this one was not addressed to a church, but an individual. And toward the end, uh, we recognize or we find out that Paul is not under house arrest, but he's incarcerated most likely in a terrible Roman prison at the time. In fact, it tells us in chapter 1 that no one could find him in Rome. It took Anisiphorus to hunt him down, to find him. Search for me earnestly, he says, to find him. And so everybody's heard of Paul having been put in prison. No one can find him. No one, they're searching for him. In fact, in many ways, they may not know if Paul's even alive. For this is, as some consider, the last letter he would write, and He's writing this, having appealed all the way up to Caesar over the incarceration or being thrown in prison for preaching the gospel. And now his appeals are over, if you will. And as he tells Timothy, my life is uh, being poured out as a drink offering. I've come to the end. And so Timothy is probably waiting, having been put in Ephesus by Paul to oversee that church, hoping to hear something about news about the apostle Paul. Maybe it would be that he would hear that he was dead. It had been 15 years since they uh, had first met when Paul recruited Timothy there out of Lystra and then called him to follow him. And Timothy had followed along with Paul. And in many of these letters, you'll find that Timothy is a co-author with Paul, even in these letters. He's been Paul's faithful companion. And then, as I said, Paul left Timothy in spite of his young age at the church in Ephesus, giving him major responsibilities and giving him a major place of service. But Timothy, having heard of Paul's imprisonment, possibly had not heard from him in some time, possibly had reached out to others seeing if they had heard from Paul and where he may be, Maybe again, as I said, thought he was dead. Surely at this point, he's feeling the burden of leadership without his mentor. Where is Paul, the one who's invested in me, the one I travel with? I haven't heard from him. Surely Timothy is struggling. He and quite possibly. He's in the midst of a crisis in his ministry, even as he looks at this, hoping to hear something from Paul. And Paul writes, maybe again. Timothy thinking he was going to get a notification that he was dead, but he finds out he's not. Paul writes this message of encouragement, a message to Timothy to to call him to do something, to keep striving, to keep going after it, to keep preaching the word, to keep preaching Christ. In fact, at the heart of our passage here in chapter one, he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. And so... Reading in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I ask you to read with me, setting that in context of Timothy maybe at a crisis point, maybe needing some encouragement, maybe thinking that Paul was dead, gets this letter from Paul and find out what Paul says to him at this moment. Writing in chapter 1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and in which now he has, manifested, has been manifested through the appearing of our savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are all, you're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your good word to us this morning. We thank you for this letter that has been preserved through the power of your Holy Spirit so that we too today can learn from it. And even as we praise you for the good and great gifts you have given us in our life, our families, our mothers, God, we come this morning recognizing that there's no greater gift than Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so may Christ be exalted now. May Christ be lifted high. Even as we have sung, Father, may it be the refrain of all of us in this room, all I have is Christ. He is my life. Father, may this word take us to that testimony. All of this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. At the heart of Paul's message, as I said, was this encouragement there in verse 8 of chapter 1. Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. That was the heart of what Paul is getting at. You can recognize in context, as we'll talk about it in a little bit, but it even says here, all that are in Asia had turned away. They couldn't find him. And we'll see even others had, had turned away. So Paul is writing to Timothy saying, you can't turn away. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Now, what may cause people to be ashamed comes into question for us now. It's not just about being embarrassed by the message. Surely that's where a lot of it is. Many of us are ashamed of the gospel because we begin to be embarrassed by the message of the gospel in front of a world that hates the gospel. And so we become ashamed by it. But there could be other reasons that we're ashamed by the testimony of our Lord. We may be ashamed at our own inadequacies. We may think we're not sufficient enough, or we're not good enough, or we're not able enough to do this, and we become ashamed at our own inadequacies, and we don't preach the gospel. We may be ashamed by our own upbringing, thinking we're not noble enough, or we don't have enough uh, credentials, if you will, in our history to preach this gospel, or to live out this gospel. We may be ashamed by others within our own group, and the way they behave. And some of y'all thinking, yes, that's the one where I point out other people's problems. And we may be ashamed of that and say, look at how other Christians behave. I don't want to be any part of that because of the way they are doing it. There are many reasons why we may become ashamed of the gospel. But as Paul points out, as Paul points out to Timothy, and those of us who believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have every reason to not be ashamed. We have every reason to not be ashamed. And so what I want to do is just simply look at three reasons here that Paul gives that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ Jesus. First, do not be ashamed, but rejoice in God's past care for you. Rejoice in God's past care for you. Here, as Paul begins his letter, he starts it some way, the same way he starts all of it. Just kind of simple. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that's in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, peace, from the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now understand, Timothy most likely it may be waiting for a death notice about Paul, a note from someone letting him know that he's passed on, that it's, it's come to an end, but instead he gets this letter and it starts out this, this, this simple frame that he's heard so many times. He'd helped Paul write so many of these letters. He'd done so many of this. And so he gets this letter that just begins in this way. But quickly, the apostle Paul changes to a very personal paragraph. He had given his normal greeting, but now he goes into this very personal way of stating things, more personal than any other letter he had written. He says, I remember you constantly in my prayers to Timothy. What great encouragement. Paul had been his mentor, and he had not been forgotten. He says, Timothy, I remember you constantly. Paul, I don't believe, is speaking hyperbolically here. He's not giving to great exaggeration. What he's doing is saying, whenever I pray, you come to my mind all the time. By the Spirit of God, when I pray, I think about you, and I pray for you, Timothy. You need to know I'm praying for you. What great encouragement to Timothy, but not only that. He says that I remember your tears. They had this shared experience together. They had traveled together and been through so many things for some 15 years. And then as they gathered together with the Ephesian elders where they had uh, worked together for three years in Ephesus. And the elders had gathered. If you read Acts chapter 20, you'll see Paul's address to the Ephesian elders. And as they gathered together in Ephesus with that leadership of that church Paul then turns, even though he's young, and passes off the leadership to Timothy and says, Timothy, you stay here. You lead them. And that's it. at the end of that, in Acts chapter 20, it says, And there were great tears. How they had been together so long. Paul is saying, Not only, not only do I remember you on prayers, I remember all our times together. Y'all have friends like that, right? Where you have those times together, those deep moments, not just simply acquaintances or out hanging out, but those times when, when God does a great and deep work or something that, that glorious happens, that you're together with them, you have those. And Paul says, don't think I've forgotten what God has done with us. Let me encourage you there. And not only that, he says, i reminded of your sincere faith. How you love the Lord sincerely and deeply. And all of that causes Paul to thank God. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the times we had together. I'm thankful for your faith that you display. I'm thankful that I pray for you every single day. I'm thankful for you, Timothy. What great encouragement is it for Timothy, having maybe thought Paul was dead, but to hear from him and said, not only am I not dead, I haven't forgotten you. Your, our time together has meant so much to me as we work together for the ministry. I'm thankful you teach me with your sincere faith. What great encouragement is it there? In that, I thank God. Paul calls Timothy his beloved child, recognizing spiritually spiritually that Paul has not only taught him the gospel and, him, and shared the gospel with him and he believed, but he also has raised him up. And so this encouragement, this godly heritage, if you will, that has been invested into Timothy should be an encouragement for him to not be ashamed. You've got those who love you. But Paul goes deeper. He goes deeper here. He goes deeper than just simply his relationship with Timothy. He goes into the godly heritage that Timothy has in his family. The godly heritage that he has. In fact, Paul wants to make the same statement. And I think Paul is putting these two things together. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers. Paul says, I thank God whom I serve just like my ancestors did. Now, recognize we know Paul's story. He was a Pharisee. He persecuted the church. But when Paul mentions this, he's talking about those who were before him, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, those who believed the gospel, those who rested in these truths. They serve God. I serve God. Paul is putting himself in a godly heritage of Old Testament saints that have come, saying, that's my family, and I'm thankful for them. But let's talk about your family. Paul goes even more intimate than this for Timothy. Maybe Timothy does not feel the rich heritage of the Jews like Paul does. We find out in Acts chapter 16 when Paul finds him that Timothy was born into a mixed marriage. His father was a Greek and his mother was a Jew. His father was an unbeliever and his mother was a believer. And so Paul is saying, I'm reminded not only of my ancestors, but look at your family. Look at what God has blessed you with. This sincere faith that you have found was not something you conjured up on your own. You were taught this. You were taught this by Lois, your mother. uh, I mean, by Lois, your grandmother, and Eunice, your mother. In other words, you have three generations now, Timothy, of faithful followers of Christ in your grandmother and your mother. And now you, the sincere faith you have has been because God in his goodness has brought you into a family that loves him and follows him. And they taught you the gospel. They taught you this. Don't be ashamed because look at what God has done. Look how he has blessed you, not only in the mentorship Paul has given, but in the faithfulness of the grandmother and mother that have led him. Timothy must not be ashamed of his mother's faith. Timothy must not be ashamed of his grandmother's faith. He must not be ashamed of his own faith. Don't be ashamed. Look at what God's blessed you with. Anna Jarvis. Anna Jarvis her mother passed away on May 5th, 1905. When her mother passed away, it was a great blow to her. She loved her mother and her mother had a desire to celebrate other mothers. And so Anna Jarvis took this on herself and she became an activist for honoring mothers, right? Right. And so she got some churches in her area to do this. She worked hard. She pleaded her case all the way up to Congress, all the way up to the president. So in 1914, the second Sunday in May was declared by the work of Anna Jarvis, was declared Mother's Day. Congress ruled it, it was settled. It was done when Woodrow Wilson spoke on this, the president. He said, this is the great public expression of our love and reverence for mothers in our country. Anna Jarvis had worked hard and accomplished this. Mother's Day is now an official day, a federal holiday for us. But before long, Anna Jarvis began to hate the very day she sought or fought so hard for Now, she loved her mom, and she believed all mothers are worth celebrating. She wanted to do that, but she began to hate it. And why did she begin to hate it? She's trying to honor mothers, and she said, everybody's just trying to make a dime off of this. She hated it because of the commercialization of what it was. I've spoken, Kevin mentioned the first service. We grew up where you had to go get a rose or a carnation and put it on you. You know, a red one if your mama's alive, a white one if your mama's dead. Thank God for you guys. that That's kind of past. I don't see any of those around. Me as an eight-year-old boy, the worst thing in the world was having to wear a flower. <laughs> I hated Mother's Day. I love my mom. But that's that was from the very beginning. Anna Jarvis began to complain because the floral companies began to sell carnations for $1 a dollar apiece when normally they were six cents. You talk about inflation. She couldn't stand the the, the, the card companies. The greeting card companies. Why? Because she had pinned the name Mother's Day, M-O-T-H-E-R apostrophe S. She had copyright on that. But the cards to get around it started doing Mother's Day, M-O-T-H-E-R-S apostrophe, so they didn't have to pay any royalties. She despised it. She grew to think that what I wanted in doing and honoring my mother has now turned into something worse. She called them profiteers and charity charlatans have taken Mother's Day and ruined it. She wanted to honor her mother and all other mothers. But what she recognized was this wasn't honor at all. I believe what Paul is doing here in verse 5 is the greatest honor a mother can receive. A greatest honor a mother can receive. Because the way we honor our mothers, the way we honor our godly mothers in our life is by living out the very faith that they taught us. We honor them by by taking in the words and the truth that they taught us, and we live it out every single day. That's the greatest honor. And if I could ask, many of you may be here today simply to sit with your mother, and that testimony in and of itself proves what Paul is saying to Timothy. Because if I could ask, what is it your mother would want from you? I promise you, the number one thing she would want for you is for you to follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the mother here, Paul is saying, your mother, look at what you've received. Honor that. You have inherited a faith that has been passed down, and surely that faith can't be passed down in such a way that it becomes your own. But you have received this faith, and you have made it your own, just like your grandmother and just like your mother did. Fan that into flame, Paul says. Take that gift that God has given you and fan that into flame. Because he says... The gift that God has given you through this faith that you have received from your grandmother and from your grandmother and and your mother. This gift that he gave you is a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fan that into flame. Now I'm thinking of his grandmother here, right? His grandmother, Lois, this real sweet lady, probably pretty short and and, and could cook really good. Y'all know what I'm talking about. No one would look at her and think of power, right? Except by the Spirit of God. And if you know any sweet little grandmas that can cook really good, that love Jesus, you will know they've got power behind them. And he says this. You've received from your ground. Don't be ashamed of what you received. Fan it into flame. Don't turn away from what you received in the faith. Fan it into flame. Take it and make it your own because you've received a spirit of power and love and self-control. You've received that. Now fan it. Don't be ashamed of it. Many have the same testimony about a mother this morning. And that's why you're here. My testimony is the same of My mother who every day in high school made me read whatever the date was of the first day of the month, I had to read Proverbs 1. Second day, I had to read Proverbs 2. All the way through, every day with her. Fan that into flame. Receive that. If that's not your history, though, you may be hearing, you're like, Josh, that's not me. I don't have a mother who was godly. I don't have a mother who passed on faith. What I can say to you is simply this. Praise God you're here today. We pray for your mother to be godly if she's still among us. To know the truth. But you can change the story of your kids now. Your kids can say, I inherited my faith from a godly, faithful mother or father. You can change that even today. Paul is saying, do not be ashamed of what you have received. But then secondly, he shifts Do not be ashamed, but know whom you have believed. Paul quickly shifts here in the text, knowing it's not about him, it's not about Timothy, it's really not about Timothy's mother or grandmother. All of this is about Jesus. So he shifts it, and he says, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. He says, first, he has saved us. Do not be ashamed. Know whom it is you have believed. You're believing in the one who has saved you. This idea of salvation, we've oftentimes cleaned it up, right? And and we've made it real clean. And we just kind of think of being saved as being forgiven of our sins. But the word carries so much more weight than that in the scriptures. It's not just about being forgiven of your sins. It's about being called to something else. Your sins are forgiven, they have been redeemed, but now you've been called to something else. He says, you've been saved and called to a holy calling. You've been saved and called to live out holy lives. God has saved you so that he can be with you. And if he's going to be with you, you must live holy as he is holy. So you've been called out into this great and glorious exchange of being adopted out of the devil's family into God's family, out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light. Salvation means all of this. When you say you're saved, you're saying you were once dead and now you're alive. When you say you're saved, you're saying your sins once reigned in your heart and now they've been washed away by the blood of Christ. When you're saying you're saved, you're saying that you've been justified by the God who rules and reigns over all of creation and his ruling stands over everything else. When you're saying you're saved, you're saying you've been called out, set apart for his glory, for his honor, for his good, sanctified. When you're saying you're saved, you're saying that one day you will be glorified with him forever in heaven. When you're saying you're saved, you're saying all of this. And Paul says, don't forget that, dude. Don't forget the salvation you've received. Don't forget the calling that you've been called to. All that God has done for you, don't forget that. And why has he done this? He saved us, called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. God has saved you and given you all of these things simply because he wanted to. There was nothing in you that compulsed him to save you, right? He didn't look down and go, look at Josh Powell. That joker is the best napper in the world. He's a professional napper. I need a good napper on my team. I'm going to save Josh. I need a good nap. That's not what he said. He looked at Josh and all he saw was the wickedness of my own heart. He looked at me and all he saw was the darkness of my own sin. He looked at me and all he saw was my rebellion that had turned away from him. And instead of saying, you get what you deserve, he showered his grace on me and said, you are mine anyway. I'll wash you and make you clean. I'll save you and make you mine. I want you, Josh. Well, the comfort of those words, right? That there's nothing good in us. It's simply the grace of God that has saved us. There's nothing. There's no act of compulsion outside of God Himself. He does what He wants to do, and what He wants to do is save you and redeem you from your sins. That should cause us not to be ashamed of it, but to draw near to it. Not to run away from it, but to run toward it. It's just simply by grace, not because of our works. He sent his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. And it says in the text that Jesus has abolished death, nullified its power, taken away its sting. It's got nothing to hang over you anymore. He's abolished death and he's brought you life. Life and immortality. He's not only saved you from sin's effects, death, and hell, but he's called you to his glorious life. A life where you'll live forever with him in eternity. That's whom you believed. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed of him. In other words, if you're a child of God, you've been justified, sanctified, and glorified all by the amazing grace of God, all accomplished by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son, who now sits on his throne, having defeated death and having brought life to his people. You've been called by him. You've been called by the one who rules and reigns over all of creation. Why would you ever be ashamed of that? That's what Paul says to Timothy. Why would you ever be ashamed? In fact, Paul says, it's the opposite. That's true. I'm not ashamed of it. I preach it. You may look and say, well, Paul is suffering. Look at all all of the, the suffering and heartache that he's gone through. Verse 12 is why I suffer like as I do. So everybody looks at that suffering and they say, look at this guy, man. He must not be doing something right. He's suffering. He must not be living after the Lord. Paul says, I'm suffering simply because I am. So I'm not ashamed of this. I'm preaching the gospel and some hate it. I suffer, but some believe. And me, he'll bring me safely home. For I'm confident that he who began this good work in me will complete it, he says. he complete it. So Paul says, it's not as if we should be ashamed of this gospel, but we should be proclaiming this gospel with boldness. Know whom you believed. do not be ashamed, but guard what has been entrusted to you. This idea of guarding your heart is where this comes from. He says in verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. If you go back up to verse 12, I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So this good deposit of the Holy Spirit of life of salvation has been given to you. Now protect it, guard it basically. Hold on to it. The Lord will guard it through his spirit. You are to guard it by following after him is what he's going to say. How are we to guard our heart? Verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. These sound words that are now brought to us in God's word. He says, if you're going to guard your heart, you're going to guard it by following after the word, by following after truth. If you're not ashamed of the gospel, then you're gonna follow after the Lord. If you're not ashamed of the good news of Jesus Christ, then you're gonna follow after what he's called you to do. If you're not ashamed of him, then you're gonna live for him. That's his point in saying all of this. Follow the teaching of the apostles. Follow the teaching of his word. Follow after him. And you got to know that the world is going to chip away one little cut, one little piece, one little bit at a time. The world is gonna seek to chip away After you, taking you away from what you're trusting, getting you to be ashamed of the good and great gospel that God has given us. That's Satan's great desire. His great desire is to pull you away. As C.S. Lewis writes in Screwtape Letters, Uncle Screwtape says, It does not matter how small the sins are provided. The cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and into nothing. In other words, he doesn't care what he gets you to do. One small little cut, one small little piece, if he could just move you away from trusting in Christ, that's what he's after. That's what he's after. So Paul says, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to guard it with everything you have. You guard it with the word. You guard it by the spirit. You guard these things. Because if you lose it, you surely will become ashamed. Consider, consider verse chapter 4, verse 10 of 2 Timothy. One of the saddest verses, I think, in the New Testament. Paul has travelers with him all the time, people that help him. Chapter 4, verse 9 says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, verse 10, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. How do we think that began? You can go back and you can read a couple other letters. Demas is with Paul. He's there. They're traveling together. But now at this point in his ministry, what's happened? Demas has has not guarded what was entrusted to him. He's not taking care of it. And now the world has overcome him. He's in love with this present world and he has deserted Paul, he says. In context, it fits perfectly. Because in chapter 1, verse 15, having heard that Paul was in prison, having heard that he's got his troubles, it says, you were all aware that all who were in Asia turned away from me. These were the churches that Timothy helped Paul establish. They'd all turned away, and maybe they'd heard that message, maybe they'd heard about Timothy. or told Timothy about Paul, and, and they had said, "We're not going to follow after that anymore. They've all turned away." So Paul says, "You've got to guard what's been given to you, because the world will seek to turn you away. The list is long. The list is long of those who become ashamed of the gospel and left. Those who heard the sincere faith of their grandmother and mother. Those who heard the teachings of the word when they were younger, they become ashamed and they've left. The list is long. It's there. And in that way, I feel like this story is quite relevant for today. For maybe many of you grew up hearing the good news of Christ, but you did not guard your heart. You did not guard what was entrusted to you. You did not guard it even with your life. And you left. But what you need to know is that the God who can save you, the God who can redeem you, the God who was just as glorious then as He is now, the God who today is ready to welcome you, is not so much concerned about you being ashamed of him in the past, he's concerned about your heart in the present right now. So the present is what God always calls us to. He doesn't ask us, have you believed? He asks us, are you believing? And so today you can simply go and know that the God who can save you and redeem you, the one whom you've heard the gospel your whole life, yet you've been ashamed and walked away, that same God is in the same spot he's always been in. And he's in the same position today that he's always been in for you. His arms are open wide, ready to receive you back. Do not be ashamed of the salvation that he provides. Do not be ashamed of the life that he gives. Maybe you've spurned the salvation of the Lord altogether for years. Maybe you've heard this and you've just spurned it, never have trusted, never have believed in it. But why? In fact, I can ask you this. Have you found something greater? If that's you today, if, 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 you've, if you're here today and you came maybe because mama wanted you, maybe you, you just walked right in, maybe it's day to go to church, and you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, have you found something greater? Because if you have, I need to know about it. If you found something greater, please come tell me. Because I'm here preaching the word of God that says there is no one greater than Jesus Christ. There is no salvation that's better. There is no hope you can find that's greater. There is no love you can find that's deeper. There is nothing and no place you can find to find satisfaction other in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And if you found something greater, I'll be standing here at the front. Please don't be ashamed to come tell me And at that point, you should know that I'm going to tell you that Christ Jesus came and died for me while I was yet a sinner. And the water that he gives to me has refreshed me every single day. In fact, I'm not sustained by what I'll eat for lunch. I'm not sustained by what I'll eat this afternoon. I'm not sustained by the naps or the sleep that I get. What sustains me is the ever-present all-encompassing grace and mercy of my Lord Jesus Christ. For he has saved me and redeemed me and set me apart as his own. And one day he'll bring me back to myself. And I'm holding on to that with everything I've got. If you can find something greater, than, by all means, I need to know. But until that day, I'm going to still preach the same Jesus who can redeem. And I will not be ashamed of it. And Paul says, that's where you must be, Timothy. Don't be ashamed. The gospel of Christ is all that we have. Let's pray together. Father, help us today to know Jesus and follow him with every step of our life and not be ashamed of the good and glorious gospel that has been entrusted to us. And I pray today, Father, if some are here that the world has been chipping away at, God, help them to not be ashamed today. To come forward and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to devote my life again to the one who saved me and redeemed me. May that be them. I'll be standing here ready to receive, rejoicing with them. Father, maybe it's some here today who have never truly entrusted you. If they found something better, Father, that's good. But what I know is that there is nothing better. So help, help them today to see, to see, Father, that the salvation Christ provides is the only thing that can satisfy them. May they turn from their sin and follow after you. God, may none of us in this place be ashamed of the good gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for this day, this opportunity. Work in hearts even now. For in Jesus we pray. Let's stand together and sing. I'll be waiting here to receive anyone. It's not a shame.